Imagine the scene. It's 1912 and it's Westminster Abbey. The bells are in full peal. All the greater good of the medical profession and indeed London society have turned out for the funeral of one of the greatest men of the late Victorian era. From that spot they come to this spot in Hampstead Cemetery where the remains of Sir Joseph Lister are lowered into this very grave. Now if you're not familiar with the name Sir Joseph Lister you're probably familiar with one of his most famous products. Not that he invented it, his name was lent to it, Listerine mouthwash. But Sir Joseph Lister was a pioneer in antiseptic surgery. Alright, welcome everybody. It's another horror hookup brought to you by Friday the 13th Horror Podcast. So today's a little something special that we haven't done before. And if you've never been to a horror hookup, these are interviews with people literally that we just find interesting. And they're doing something different in the horror community, whether they're authors, directors, podcasters. And in this case today, something a little different. Now, Maddie, I know that you kind of found these guys. So yes. I want you to give a little introduction to our guests today. Sure thing. So um, my good friend Tyler, Tyler Gambrell, who lives in uh, in Virginia now, she lived in London for a good long time with my best friend Bridget who you folks have heard me talk about before. Um, They lived in Finsbury Park back in the day. And uh, of course, uh, Tyler still has a great affinity for England. And so uh, she sent me this great article from Metro one day all about these two dudes that uh, have this amazing tour called Queerly Departed. And so uh, Sasha Coward and Sheldon Goodman are their names. And they are with us today all the way across the ocean in England. Sasha and Sheldon, how are you guys? All the better for hearing your British accent. Um, really good, really good. We've got some authentically British people here, and we will answer questions about Brexit. Do you have them? I mean, you know, we're here for that. Sheldon, we, will... we will not talk about Brexit. You're not going to hand in that wasp's nest straight away within the first 20 seconds of the conversation. We'll just we go just ahead and just... guess that both of you voted to stay. We'll just we'll just take that guess. Just guessing there. It's a pretty damn good guess. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Good. That that was a good vote. Well, at least we can avoid being awful Americans for one second. Exactly. And I, you know, I've I've been saving my my shitty British accent for a while, so I'm glad I finally got to use it today. It made me feel very special. Thank you. Oh, thank it you. It was Sasha. very good. It was very good. So uh, both of you, we really are uh, honored and pleased to have you with us because I think that what you're doing is something really, really cool. And so I, I want to jump straight into it because I know that a lot of our, well, as, as you know, a lot of our listeners are, are in America, they're LGBT people, um, and we, we love this little community that we've built for, um, for you know, around our show. Um, and they're going to be really interested in the project that you both created and that you do. Um, so let's just jump right in. Um, Queerly Departed is this uh, really amazing project that you've created. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about what it is, how it came about, um, and how it's going. So it started, um, well, the, the basic nub of the idea started early December when a representative of the cemetery, um, lovely person by the name of uh, Dan Gilbert, got in touch, said that they were looking to do a tour around Brompton Cemetery. Now, lots of the cemeteries of London and indeed the UK and even in the US as well do cemetery tours, but they were looking to do something a little bit different. 
They wanted to see their LGBT history. Now, Brompton has a particularly strong LGBT history. Um, in, in, in the 1970s and 1980s, it was a very well-known gay destination and hangout place, to put it politely. Um, and so what they wanted to do to, um, <laughs> to, um, to celebrate um, LGBT History Month was to basically look at that side of the cemetery. Not only the, you know, the LGBT people buried there, but also the, its use um, as an open space um, for the community. So they got in touch with me and I thought, mm, OK, this is interesting. And I had met Sasha uh, about a year beforehand. And I thought, oh, my God, if there's, if there's one person I want to kind of drag into this project kicking and screaming, um, <laughs> it, it's, it's Sasha. <laughs> because we did um, a number of uh, tours around Tower Hamlet Cemetery by lamplight, mm. um, you know, on Halloween, which, which is just fun. superb, absolutely superb. Um, and our knowledge of, you know, of, of like LGBT issues, of history, and, and, and the way that we, we kind of bounce off each other, metaphorically speaking, um, <laughs> was just to, uh, we, we, basically, I think it was just a match made in heaven. So I thought, oh goodness me, he has to get involved with this. So we sat down, and that, we, that's basically how it's how it kicked off. I think uh, if I was going to add anything, it's it's that I I so Sheldon comes from a background with a real passion. This is going to sound really creepy for dead people. Uh, so, <laughs> Not creepy at all. It's true. It is a sad. Well, it's really true. I mean, he he runs a, a blog called Cemetery Club, which you should all check out. So he he writes and blogs all about cemeteries. Um, and and the the idea that cemeteries are in many senses uh, museums of people. So they're not just these scary, austere places where you can take wicked Halloween Instagram photos. They are also full of stories. Um, I come from a background, I work in museums, and so don't don't yawn just yet. Museums are, are wicked places, despite what you might think. <laughs> um, but one of the issues is, and, is that the stories that you always hear are the same kinds of stories. If you go to a museum, if you go to a cemetery, if you go to anywhere where there's history or heritage, it is always dead, white, wealthy men of a particular yeah. age, of a particular class. Sure. Um, queer stories they are always you know only either they're, they're non-existent so that you don't hear them at all or if you do it's always a little bit like come hear the filthy dirty story of the gays or it's mm-hmm. it's always a bit sure. salacious it's a bit it's a bit gross um and i think both me and sheldon when we look at history or we look at the world around us and we see those missing stories we say no bugger that that's that that makes no sense we need to talk about all kinds of people and as two gay men ourselves our passion is to say hey a cemetery why on earth if there are thousands and thousands of people buried here there's basically a city of the dead why are we not hearing the stories of all the queer people they were there so why don't we get to hear about them yeah and also it's it's quite I mean, it's also quite notable in the fact that the cemetery wanted to explore this avenue. A lot of the um, of the cemeteries, again, I can't speak for the ones in America, but the ones in the UK are still kind of sorting out how they interpret their heritage, you know, let alone their gay heritage, if anything. So the fact that they openly said, you know, this is something that we want to explore. We we just, you know, kind of clapped our hands together. Yep. okay, fine. Leave this to us. Let's see what we can do and see what we can rustle up. Yeah, I'm so sick of this narrative of gay people are only associated with AIDS. Uh, you know, they're only associated with the disease that they, that they died from rather mm. than what, what are their real stories? Like what, what are the people that they touched in their lives and how did they make a difference in, in their kind of history? So I, I think that's a really mm. cool thing for the cemetery mm. to really like think about from a intelligent point of view right. rather than just trying to make it a, a, a salacious like headline of you know we're gonna explore the crazy it was gaze. just it was all just an orgy and then they died 
Yeah. <laughs> and, they, and, and some of that stuff is true because a lot of the, the queer people who are known, they often were real extroverts, really crazy, true. fascinating characters. Mm. Um, but one of the other things to touch on, um, it always feels a bit iffy talking about digging up stories when you're talking about a cemetery, but we're going to go there. Uh, so when you're, when you're digging up stories, another thing that happens um, with a lot of institutions and places, if you say we're going to go and research gay or queer stories, there's an instant idea of, no, you're going to be shaming the dead you're going to be saying mm. awful things there's a presumption that, that saying someone may have slept with someone of the same sex someone's gender may not have been directly on the binary is besmirching their character oh, uh, which I, I find incredibly offensive like actually no that's not a negative um that's just part of who they were it's one facet of who they were well, so it, it's it's it, it's offensive to us you know presently now but it's offensive to them too and to their memory Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, speaking about the research that you do, you know, I know in the in the Metro article, you both sort of touch on a bit of uh, a bit of how the the research can be a little tricky because the 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 history of LGBT people, uh, especially those that are that are that are since departed, isn't uh, just as black and white as the stories that we're telling right now about ourselves. So, tell us a little bit about how you do that research to illuminate their lives. Yeah, sure. So one of the, the, the big issues is the very nature of queerness is for most of history and, and actually today in many parts of the world still, uh, being queer is not something that is acceptable. It is not okay. Mm-hmm. It, and in the past, it was definitely illegal. It was, you could you lose your life, your livelihood, uh, you'd be in danger and endangering the people around you just, just to be open about that. So most queer people were hiding their their experiences so looking for something that is being actively hidden by the people who live those lives is incredibly challenging mm-hmm. um and also that you know nowadays when we, when we write about people and we use terms like lesbian gay bisexual transgender those words didn't even exist right. so you you don't even have that breadcrumb trail you won't have a letter that says Hello, my lovely homosexual lover. How I love <laughs> having sodomy with you. You are so wonderful. I love you. Signed, XXX. Um, you get bachelors and you get women with traveling companions and you get um, phrases like bohemian. So whenever someone's described as, oh, she was a bohemian artist or she was very transgressive, instantly I'm like, okay, that's, I'm getting a bit of a kind of my gaydar's ringing. And I want to know what's going on there. But you don't get that straight line that tells you a queer story. What do you think, Sheldon? Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, again, just even it is like trying to find a needle in the haystack. Because as you said, Sasha, there's no kind of real kind of um, breadcrumb trail to say, to give you, even give you like a definitive clue for some. I mean, that's not to say that that's applicable to all people. There were some who were out and out LGBT, as we know it today. But it's just a case of, you know, in terms of doing what I do for the blog and obviously the tours, that, which I did with Sasha for Queerly Departed. It's it's a case of looking for well, a little bit is supposition, a little bit of is strong uh, intent. Um, it's certainly the, the, like the way that things have been written or interplayed in, 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 be it in letters or even in paintings or any kind of mm. media that gives it like a little mm. bit of a clue as to, you know, what was going on there. And that's that's you know that's my role as you know as, as a tour guide as a writer and indeed with Sasha as a as someone who interprets heritage, we kind of have to use a supposition and gotta go with our gut instinct to go mm, yeah okay you know so again it, it, it's important to do that and not want to as Sasha said besmirch their memories because 
we're trying to we're, we're basically ambassadors for them now they never oh, have the chance to I be themselves that. and we are the conduits for that and we're the ones who are saying okay right you didn't you never had a fair shot of that let us give it a go and let us tell your life story in a way almost as if they were standing there right in front of us and to do it as respectfully wow. and as you know as as diligently as possible really mm. so but it, it, it is a fine line it is a very delicate balance trying to you know because again you don't want to say you know someone was lgbt and they weren't but in a lot of these cases you can kind of you know cr- cross the i's dot the t's and sure. put, join up all the dots and you can get the fuller story mm. yeah totally i mean so in speaking of some of the stories that you have kind of uh dug up if you will you know i want to put it that way <laughs> that's a good pun andrew good job um <laughs> What are some of the ones that, you know, I I don't want to say the saddest, but, you know, what are some of the ones that have struck you in a way or um, stood out to you? Like, what what is one that you uncovered that was just kind of in your minds, you know, something that really got, got to you, if you will? Um, so this is actually a, 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 the story that, that actually made me cry whilst I was trying to give the tour, which is not, not always a great thing to do. <laughs> um, it does make people feel a little bit nervous when you as the tour guards start sobbing over what you're talking about. Um, but I was researching Tower Hamlet Cemetery, which is a very dim- different cemetery to Brompton Cemetery. And it's, it's a space I'd love to do more queer research in. Um, we were looking at um, some of the unmarked graves. So obviously you have your big, grand, gorgeous kind of monuments for the wealthy, the very rich. And then mm-hmm. you have all the people that were buried there who were in common graves where um, they had no headstone. Or if they did, that headstone is long gone. And now they could just be underneath your feet under the pathways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but we have records of a lot of the kind of the fostered children. So this is kind yeah. of pre-official foster care this is children who weren't able to be looked after their parents parents orphans people who were kids who ended up in in workhouses who would then be taken on into big homes or would be looked after en masse in in poor houses a bit like oliver twist Mm -hmm. and a huge amount of research had been done into those kids um that were buried in brompton cemetery and that's in uh, sorry in uh, tower hamlet cemetery which is instantly tragic because these these are all kids they're all under the age of 18 and they have these photographs that go with them um which are just so mournful because these are not fancy photographs these are kids a lot of them are are children of color as well uh representations you very rarely get um all the way back in the the 1800s and the late 1700s um but one particular uh, child that that stood out have very little information the one thing it said in that kind of very victorian-esque medical style was hermaphrodite so this was a young person um who was buried um at the age of i think 10 in tower hamlet cemetery who at birth was neither male nor female we would now use mm. the term intersex um how that child today would have grown up and wh- what gender identity they would want to express that that's one thing to think about wow. but we do know that this this child was also taken uh, around to university college hospital um to be used as a teaching aid for students oh. um so a bit of a human freak show Um, and you know this was a kid that was passed from you know an alcoholic mother uh taken away and then placed with another parent um their their sibling then died and then was taken into care and you can only imagine how awful that would be today but if you imagine that in the early to mid 1800s 
um it really i'm I'm getting all like tingly now just talking about it because it 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 just really breaks my heart um that not only was this a poor child uh growing up in some of the the worst conditions but also a child whose gender did not fit the binary of victorian british society And and the fact that they didn't care yeah yeah, and then, then there's a there's a photograph um, which I will I will send to you afterwards sure. if you want to make a link to it of this this kid. Um, so you can see him or her looking at you, um, which is just really really poignant. Oh, so you know that's 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 such a an amazing story. What what year did that child die? Do you remember? I, I can't. I, I wouldn't want to give you the date off the top of my head without without g- g- giving you the wrong date. There is an an article because uh, all this research has been done, um, sure. and there's a huge database of these children. So I will I'll give you a link to the photo, and there's a little bit of infinite information about this particular child. It's just you know what, what, what's incredible about it is that there's there's been probably nobody that has told the story of this particular individual, this this child mm. that has died until you folks came along. Do you ever feel the, um, I don't know, not to be like too macabre about this, although we're talking about, you know, cemeteries for God's sake. Do you, do you ever feel like their voice is connecting to you? What does that connection feel like that you're one of the first people to tell that story since that person actually died? It's, it comes with a hell of a lot of responsibility because as i said before i see ourselves as ambassadors but you know again never mind if they're lgbt or not but you are representing people who have you know who their their lives are never touched by the internet and yet by Mm. some happy happenstance there's a reference to be a census record um a mention in a book uh a mention in a newspaper article and you're kind of re you're putting together all the points back together again on their behalf and you're repurposing repackaging that story to tell their life story and it's it's quite you have to do it with a certain amount of confidence for sure. But it's when you, when you kind of put it together, it gives you an incredible sense of satisfaction because you think, do you know what this story, number one, it shouldn't have been forgotten, but that's just how this, that's just culture, isn't it? That's just what happens nowadays. Um, So it's, it makes it all the more important that like, you know, people like me and Sasha and others can get together, um, put the work in and just do that person a bit of credit, frankly. Um, It's, it's, it's incredibly life affirming actually, because it makes you, appreciate again once go kind of word on it but it makes you kind of appreciate the wider your wider place in the world because you think you know what i'm doing now it might be just like you know putting a photo on instagram i might be you know writing a, a tweet mm-hmm. about a tv show i like and all that kind of stuff but at some point that will be picked up in the future and it will be picked up probably out of context as to who i was and you know what was kind of going on sure. the day that i posted that tweet and stuff so it's kind of yeah it, it's it's a it's a weird one but it, it's so it's so fascinating to do yeah, you, yeah. You, form, you form this incredible connection sometimes with the people you're writing about. Um, and I, again, I don't want to over sound too macabre, but when I was writing about one particular character, Louisa Cassati, um, who was a, a contessa, and she um, she was buried in Brompton Cemetery, and she's one of our queerly departed. She was a bisexual, uh, a p- incredible character. I mean, if you think of Lady Gaga, Lady Gaga wishes she was um, Cassati. <laughs> I mean, I the, the thing she dressed as a ruddy fountain. She would have live snakes as jewelry. Oh my God. Covered herself in chicken blood. Like, and this is again back in the eighteen <laughs> hundreds. Um, so she was completely out there. But when I was writing her story and trying to come up with her notes, you could almost feel like the presence of her breathing on the back of my neck. Like, wow. is this how she wants to be? 
portrayed. So I wrote one thing. I remember thinking, God, I am making her sound like a complete nutcase. And then I came across this quote that she had said, I don't want to be beautiful. I want to be art. And I was like, no, you know what? Oh my she, God. she doesn't want to be described as lovely and nice and sweet. I feel like she's going to be okay with me saying she was out there. She wanted to be out there. So this is okay. And then sometimes you write something and you'll say, ah, uh, you know what? This, how can I frame this in a way that this person would see it? This, how, how would this person want this story told? Hmm. Although of course, sometimes you're telling a story and, uh, yeah, sometimes the person could be a complete bastard and you actually want to say, <laughs> actually, I want to call you out on this one. That wasn't okay. So it's a, it's a challenging one, but you do wow. definitely connect with the people you're writing about. Yeah. So have you ever um, experienced uh, anything otherworldly, paranormal kind of, or, or personally, have you ever felt haunted by any of these stories? Something that really like stuck with you, either from a real paranormal experience or from like something that really haunted you mentally? Sheldon, can we tell the story of when we went to Tower Hamlet Cemetery at oh, night? For God's, by sake. For God's sake, you're not going to let this die, are you? Give it to us. Me... Give it to us. Oh. I, want, I want Sheldon to tell this story. No, oh, you see, you've picked it up now. What, what, oh, for goodness. So, oh, here we go. So we were going around pre- uh, preparing for our tour in uh, the Halloween tour for Tower Hamlet Cemetery. So imagine the scene. It's this lovely old woodland, essentially, but it's interspersed with all the trees, all these big monuments at the entrance. And then the deeper into the cemetery you go, the more wild and kind of abandoned it becomes. The monuments get smaller because that's where the kind of like the, the common graves are. Thousands of people. I mean, this this it's you know, if you ever come to London, never mind if you go into Highgate, go to Tower Hamlets because it's an honest cemetery. It's where, you know, the, the, the hard up people were buried, you know, working off the docks and what have you. So the DP go into the cemetery, it gets very wooded, and it was also uh, just around dusk, so it was getting very dark. So me and Sasha were walking around, and we were kind of like working out the route, who to talk about, how we can kind of, you know, oh, you say this, so I'll say that, and then we'll pick up that point later, that kind of thing. So we're kind of strolling through the cemetery, and the one thing that this cemetery is known for as it turns tonight, it has a slightly different population, not a dead population, but a... A particular, um, a gay population, shall we say, who makes use uh-huh. of the fact that this place is very rarely disturbed. I so, feel like we don't uh, need to be coy about this to this particular well, audience. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can just let it out. <laughs> well, basically, they were there for, for fun time. Um, so we were, we were walking through and, you know, we could see that there was these shadows moving in between the trees and stuff. And we were just like, going, OK, this is a bit odd. Um, and then as we were kind of going deeper into um, the cemetery, uh, this figure steps out in front of us and just literally out of nowhere, this, 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 it's oh this figure God. completely in black from what we can see. Um, and we just basically looked at each other. There was a little brief pause and then we both let out some very high-pitched screams. Oh, my God. <laughs> was kind of, we held onto each other. I mean, honestly, it's like, it's like the opposite of Antiques Roadshow, just holding on for dear life to each other. And then we very quickly turned tail and ran away. And then, you know, the figure then slowly went back in. And obviously, this, this gentleman was kind of looking for some fun time, essentially. Um, I mean, we probably scared the living bejesus out of it, to be honest with you. But um, it, was, it was absolutely, absolutely terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. It, 
I do need to add, like, it it was seriously one of the scariest things that's ever happened in my life. Oh my like, God, you, of course. If you imagine, like, Tim Burton, Sleepy Hollow, like, it's it's a bit cold, so there's that fog sort of going around. It's pitch black. There's just trees everywhere. And this just silhouette just stands there staring at you for a good 10 seconds and then just steps back into the woods again, and you don't know whether he's gone or not. Um, so that was, that was a particularly terrifying buying uh cemetery experience wow. yeah. <laughs> but sheldon you you neglected to mention your interaction with a pomeranian when the oh, dog came God, Sasha, Sasha, you, I, you, I deliberately sidestepped that one oh, do you know what sasha off you go go on so <laughs> go on bit, le- go. bit later in our walk this tiny little black shape came shooting out of the dark and uh sheldon let loose a very masculine very butch blood-curdling scream oh my god <laughs> It was a Pomeranian. It was a tiny, <laughs> fluffy dog. Well, coming from Chicago, where our, our rats kind of look like a, a Pomeranian, I would scream too. Yeah. It was it, no, it wasn't just that. It was the fact that I saw the darkness of its soul through its eyes. I can only, that was it. Honestly, I saw this thing came running up to me, and it, I just completely got absorbed into this aura of this. It was it was not a regular Pomeranian, Sasha. It was some sort of hell creature. It was an and evil I, Pomeranian. It was an yeah. evil Pomeranian, and I looked and I saw, and I just, I, I you know, my heart grew tense. I screamed, yeah. admittedly, and then I looked back at Sasha and our friend Mikey, who was there as well. And then I just continued screaming because it was just—it it was just too much. I'm a very nervous person when it comes to stuff like that. Well, I'm um, sorry, Sheldon. I only no, mock you not, because I love though, you. Sasha, you're not. You've done it for entertainment. For you. <laughs> so happy that you've done. I hope the listeners enjoy that little bit of embarrassment on my part. Thank you so much, Sasha. Thank you. So, 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 speaking of touring around cemeteries, t- tell us a little bit about your tour. How do the folks that go on the tour with you? How do they generally react? What, what, are, what are their reactions? How do they like it? Tell us about that. They're all usually very open-minded. I mean, a lot of them, um, a number of them, shall I say, um, might go expecting, you know, stories about ghosts and ghouls and goblins and all that kind of stuff, which you know, you're in a cemetery, I suppose that's fair enough. But the tools we do are very much about the people, you know, we're sure. talking about real lives. And it's really encouraging to see that it's, it attracts quite a diverse group of people considering, really. Um, you know, I mean, you go on on some if you were to go on like a cemetery tour, say 10, 15 years ago, it probably would have been populated with the people who are basically looking for real estate to find where they themselves can be buried, frankly. But now it's um, very much a, a, a very diverse group. You know, you've got people from late, late teens right up until like the 70s and 80s coming along. And they're all open minded. They're all there to learn. They're all there. to. You know, Some of them might have lived in the local area and thought, you know what? I know nothing about it. I moved here a few weeks ago. I don't know who was notable around here. I don't know, you know, who the big kind of uh, the big cheeses were. So it's nice that people come with an open mind and an open heart. Uh, and that's basically we can ask for, really. You know, that, that's that's that that is the perfect example of, mm-hmm. of a good cemetery tour. People who are there and are willing to engage with the stories that you find. Yeah, the, the response that we had to the queer tour that we did in Brompton Cemetery has was has been incredible. Uh, people have been quite moved yeah. by it. Um, wow, so cool. We've had a, a lot of feedback, particularly from our, the LGBTQ audience, which made up the large proportion of people that came on the tours. Mm. Uh, you know, we 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 sold out. Um, the tickets were free for this for this as well. So we we we, we sold out tickets really quickly. Uh, there was Two a days. real. 
yeah, there was a real thirst for this really weird overlap between cemeteries and queerness. Um, but it was the kind of idea that, yeah, we've always been here. It's so nice to know that we've always been here, that people like me, people like my friends lived and died and came before. Um, and I think, you know, speaking as a, as a gay man, when I was a, a young boy walking around museums, I remember just going, why can't I see myself? Huh. Why is there no one like me? And that's what made me want to work in, in this, this industry. So um, that's a great segue into our next question. Um, you know, I said earlier, you know, obviously most of our listeners are going to be in the US um, and a lot of them are LGBT. And, you know, we're still sort of in the Middle Ages here when it comes to uh, the way that non-LGBT people uh, respond to us, respond to queerness, have some sort of understanding of how we all live together um, as we, you know, sort of slouch toward whatever enlightened era we're, we're, we're heading to. Um, maybe, you know, it, it, it might be cool for, for folks here to, to hear a little bit about both of your experiences growing up uh, in the UK. Can, can you tell us a little bit about what that was like for you personally? In terms of, I mean, I've known about my sexuality since I was about six or seven. Um, sure. It's just something that I've always known, you know, playing doctors and nurses and far preferring the doctors, frankly. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, um, so it's something, and, but it wasn't something that I could be open about. Certainly in um, in the kind of social environment that I was growing up in. I mean, certainly you couldn't be yourself, um, particularly in secondary school. I, I could never really, uh, you know, there was only one openly out person and they were subject to some pretty bad bullying frankly i mean it certainly wouldn't be tolerated now and when you see you know you know i mean fair play to that person i mean they were incredibly strong for putting up with it i mean i couldn't if i was open uh in that regard so a lot of my experiences was were done kind of cloak and dagger really you know doing it on myths and whispers and you know and again again, it's it's, it's something that's uh, particularly pertinent over here at the moment about lgbt education you know, you, hit, you you learn about, you know, um, a man and a woman and how all that kind of stuff works. But, you know, when you're a bloke and you fancy another bloke or maybe a, um, a, a, a woman fancying another woman, there isn't really much to go on to guide you and to kind of give you any sure. interest. So I spent a lot of my secondary school years just basically wandering around aimlessly going, what? Help me. Someone help me. Because <laughs> I just didn't know. Um, and now, you know, and then when I eventually met my first uh, long-term partner, that was a, that was the best education because number one you were with someone that was prepared to guide you at your own pace and kind of you know you know like be, having like um uh, public displays of affection you know that that was that was so alien to me when we first started going mm-hmm. out because i'd spent all my years basically constructing this outward you know everyone would say oh you know i didn't think you were gay and it's like, mm, well, okay, right. Well, if you kind of knew what, what I'm subjected against, and you know, perhaps that wouldn't be really be much of a surprise, frankly. <laughs> um, but it's, it's. I think the situation now, from what I can see, is that that society is far more tolerant. There's still there's still work to be done. Don't get me wrong. There's still a lot of work to be done. But it, it always encourages me when I see young, you know, people who are like 16, 17, uh, you know, holding hands. Sure. Um, uh, openly displaying their affection for each other and you know not being the situation where i was where i, I think i did it God, when i was in my late teens and someone threw a beer can at me through a car you know that kind of right thing, you know so it's i, th- I think that especially amongst the young the good old young i mean i'm only 32 but the good old young they seem to be a lot more open to 
basically not caring about you know if you fall in love with someone great you know it doesn't matter if they're man woman or whatever just just do it if it makes you feel sure. good and, and you respect the other person more than anything just do it so mm-hmm. it's for, seeing from my standpoint seeing that change in society happen has been incredibly good and that's one thing that that we really wanted to uh, to do with the tour as well you know we wanted to sure. attract all kinds of ages and say look you know wh- whatever age you are these issues aren't you they're probably not going to go anyway um anytime soon but you know we are a community and let's you know let's just kind of help each other out and you know if i if i had the circle of friends that i have now that i did when i was growing up that would have made things far easier but you know i mean yeah i'm i'm, I'm all i'm that, that's why i'm so passionate about projects like wheelie departure sure. so i really want to push that message yeah. Uh, so my, my experience, um, I, I always use this kind of quote, which is I, I grew up on the shoulder of giants. So I had a much better um, queer gay experience than people that came before me, people in the 70s and 80s. But um, I had seen the fact I knew that gay people had sex. I knew that from a relatively early age. I knew that gayness existed. I didn't know that gay people fell in love. And that was a huge issue. Until I was about 19 or 20, I did not know that gay people fell in love. I just knew that they had sex. And that says a huge thing about society. Wow. Um, When I was 15, I diagnosed myself with homosexuality in a family medical book uh, on page 84 under sexual deficiencies. This was a book from the 80s that was still on my parents' shelf. And I went down... And, you know, that is a horrible thing to do, to go, oh, great, so this is the disorder I suffer from. Um, I will say that when I came out, I was lucky enough to have two hippie parents who couldn't have been better. Um, oh, and they yeah. were—they continue to be, and I, I know that I am not necessarily in the majority for this. They, they were surprised. Um, I don't know why, like, had they met me? <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but they were, they were, they were really supportive. Um, but one last thing that I would add is that I feel that this is probably the same in the US, that I have had to come out again and again and again and again. So even though I came out to my friendship circle when I was 15, 16, um, that was only kind of partly. And I sort of went back into the closet and then I came back out again. And every time I start a new job, there's a process of coming out. Every yeah, time right. I have my hair cut and I get asked that question, so how's your wife? How's your girlfriend? Every taxi ride, every Uber ride, mm. you have that decision. Do you, don't you? Do you, don't you? So mm. we are living in, I think we are moving in such a great direction. And I, and I'm just like Sheldon said, I see it in our young people in their confidence. Um, and the fact that they are looking at us a bit like we're dinosaurs, um, <laughs> you know, That's like true. what, why is it such a big deal for you? Like, you know, I I've heard, um, 14 year olds that I've worked with just talking about, you know, their uh, friend who's transitioning, like, you know, like it's nothing, like it's not yeah, even a thing, right. um, which is amazing. But there are still these little hiccups that keep coming up that remind you, oh, yeah, we are still the freakazoids. We are still weird. The world is still having to make room for us. There is a feeling like, you know, we don't have a seat at the table. We've had to bring our own chair. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes that can really wear you down. And you have these moments where you just want to go, Jesus, just, you know, we've been here as long as you have. Our history is your history. Just make us, give us some room. Come on, let us come to the table. Um, So there is still a lot of frustration that I feel 
Um, but mm-hmm. I also feel incredibly positive that the project like Queerly Departed would not have happened, not even five years ago, would uh, that have yeah, happened. No. Sure. No. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I think that uh, our listeners will truly appreciate that perspective. And I think if they give our June episode a listen, you'll get a little more of that kind of, and you hit on it perfectly, of kind of what our horror is, but what we're also looking for in positivity right. and kind of what we're, we're aiming for mm-hmm. and what we see as hope. So I, I, I really appreciate you speaking to that. Um, now to completely change the, the subject, <laughs> um, are, are you guys, uh, are you guys big horror fans? Like what is your, what is your um, distance on the horror community and kind of horror movies and, you know, and do you have a favorite horror? Yeah. Movie? Like what, what does that look like for you guys? So I'm going to I'm going to say, first of all, this is a bit of a binary between me and Sheldon. We differ on this quite a lot. I am a massive horror fan. Um, I have liked it far too long. I was watching 18s when I was not 18 um, (laughs) and terrify myself. And I still love a good horror. For, For me, I'm the kind of guy I like to be legitimately scared. Like I I get why campy ott horror is fun but you know give me something that's gonna freak me out i want to be properly properly scared so my favorite horror film of all time is alien the first one yeah Um, because it's just the perfect film it's beautiful sigourney weaver is just so badass and um you know incredible female role model beautiful uh set like set pieces um game changer for sci-fi and for horror terrifying monster loads of psychosexual stuff like if you look it up guys it's all the stuff about um you know phalluses and freudian kind of oh, fears totally. all amazing so that's for my 30th birthday i did a screening of alien and forced everyone to come along and see it <laughs> that's amazing i love it sheldon how about you i well yes as sasha said i'm the kind of binary i'm the complete opposite i i have, i'm a very nervy person i mean you know if there's a particularly aggressive episode of keeping up appearances i get stressed so if you were to have anything like um so i, I watched get out with with the, the other half the, the yes. other month and literally I, I was tearing my skin off i was like i, I can't deal with this i can't do, i can't be dealing with this What's this? Falling down a, a, a flipping black shaft and bloody... Pine- <laughs> no, 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 no. I can't. I, by the end of it, I, I needed a very strong drink. I thought, I, I, I can't be doing this at all. I mean, it did kind of make my heart sing when I saw... Uh, it was pastiche on uh, RuPaul's Drag Race the other week. That was good. <laughs> nice. But, um, but yeah, I, 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 I seem to prefer shows that, that almost cherry-pick bits. So I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with The League of um, Gentlemen. It's a british sitcom uh, it's, it's, it, it was first aired years ago it's, it's not a current sitcom there were three series mm. and the writers uh, mark gatis who's latterly gone on to do a lot of work for doctor who has openly admitted that horror films are a massive influence um i mean awesome. again to, to, to a casual viewer like me i, I wouldn't get half the references it's only because i've you know gone late night googling with a very strong g and t but um, <laughs> but that's um but yeah I, I kind of like the like horror light i guess um but then in doing that i mean in, in doing in researching the tour um finding about um like the, the, the great horror actor and ernest Thesiger, for example i mean i didn't really know that much about him but knowing that he was such a an icon in in the horror world and especially mm-hmm. like all, all the films that he did it's kind of made me dip my toe in again so i'm kind of going oh, okay I mean, again that's kind of like campy horror rather than you know 
Get Out or Wolf Creek or what have you. But um, sure, I, I have to be. I mean, yeah, I have to be completely in the zone to even entertain the idea of watching a horror film. Sometimes I don't enjoy them, but oh my god, I just have such terrible nerves. I mean, never mind the Pomeranian. Good grief, no, I, can't, <laughs> okay, okay. I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> but just just to counteract that, Sheldon, I, I mean, I will say that no one else tells a story quite like Sheldon with this kind of gothic sort of Edgar mm. Allan Poe-esque thing. So when he's talking uh, about some of the most hair tingling, is hair tingling a thing? We're going to say it's a thing. <laughs> hair tingingly, um, like horrible stories, because, you know, all of our stories, when we ever do a cemetery tour, we always start by saying, guys, this is going to be horrifying and depressing because every single one of these ends in someone dying. So that's the thing you can guarantee with a cemetery. It's not going to have a happy ending because they're all dead. Um, And a lot of them die in the most horrendous, horrible ways. And I've heard Sheldon narrate those. And even though you may not like watching horror, you tell a good story that makes me, my eyes roll back and feel like screaming. So you, well, you are good at telling a story. It's the fear. It's, it's the sense of theater, darling. That's, that's what I like about it. I mean, um, I mean, just going back to that point as well, when we did the Halloween tour um, and I found out about that guy who was, um, it said inland revenue on his tombstone. I thought, well, that's a huh. funny thing to have on your tombstone, something about tax. So I went looking. Um, I went looking into his story, and he was um, working in a distillery up in Scotland. Um, and he was doing an inspection late night, about ten o'clock in the evening. And he um, was just—I don't know what the hell he was doing—but he basically fell into a big vat of boiling water. Oh my god! And he basically parboiled himself. And you know, the, the warehouse—what the hell he was doing on his own? I mean, it wouldn't happen nowadays. But he was basically drowning in this boiling vat of water, screaming for help, pining for help. And he managed to climb out and he, and he basically crawled to the nearest oh home. He must have been in absolute abject agony. Anyway, he knocked on this person's door, obviously, you know, on all fours, like, oh, my God, help me. And he died of presumably septicemia three days later. And they shipped his body back down. And he's buried in this kind of overgrown part of the cemetery. Um but again, I'm not quite sure. I, I just told that story. But anyway, um, you're talking to Horrific people. Death. Horror, they'll Horrific love death. that. Oh yeah, they'll yeah, love yeah. it. There we go. There we go. So yeah. Um, wow. But yeah. So but yeah, that that kind of stuff. I, I just I just like sinking my teeth into the narrative, and again, not enjoying their pain, and because that was not a nice way for that poor bugger to go. Um, but yeah, he stuff like that. I I like to just basically do their yeah. story justice. It might not be particularly pleasant. It might not be particularly nice, but it happened. And so speaking of, of lovely, um, you know, uh, painful tidbits like that, that you can learn on the tour, um, if, if any of our listeners find themselves in London soon, um, which I may be this summer myself, um, how can they get on the Queerly Departed tour? Well, it just so happens, definitely haven't got this written down in front of me, it just so happens uh, we have got a Queerly Departed 2 plan because the first one was such a success, and maybe even a 3, we'll see. Uh, but the next one is going to be on the 5th of July, so that is Friday the 5th of July. It will be a sort of early evening tour. Tickets are not on sale yet, but they are free and they will sell out fast. Um, and um, that's going to be the day before London Pride. Um, so oh, we're, awesome. we're hoping for a really great vibe and a really great attendance. Possibly some optional ghostly queer dress up would be some would be really good fun. 
Um, it's also worth mentioning that every Halloween we do do our Tower Hamlets tours. Um, so those tickets will go on sale kind of towards October. Um, but we do that around the closest weekend to Halloween. Um, and that's me just parasiting off the back of all of Sheldon's hard work. So big kudos to him for that. <laughs> yeah, he knows it's true. He knows it's true. Um, and lastly, is another really random one. If you happen to be in Gloucestershire or you fancy getting on an hour train to the beautiful Cotswolds from London, uh, we're going to be doing a free tour of Stroud Cemetery um, to raise money for uh, Stroud Pride. So we're doing our first ever. That is so cool yeah so, so all these things and if you want more information just um please hit us up on on twitter um because we love ideas we love chatting um and hey if you want to pay for us to go to the states we'd love that big plug big fat plug uh and and go ahead and what what <laughs> is your what is your handle on twitter uh, I am at Sasha Downspace Coward, and just to be awkward, my name is spelt real weird. Uh, so it's S for Sugar, A C H A Downspace C O W A R D, like the cowardly lion, Sasha Coward. And Sheldon, how about you? Well, I'm I'm in two. I'm in two, but I'm probably going to merge it into one, knowing how I feel at the moment. But my main one is Cemetery Club, so that's all one word. So Twitter.com Cemetery Club. And then my actual personal one is um, Sheldon K. Goodman. But it follows the, follow the Cemetery Club one because it, it's just it's horror and it's beautiful. And it's great me walking around graves wearing particularly nice clothing. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course, the article from Metro that, that got me into these two um, and a whole bunch of other information about them as well. So remember, if you're going to find yourself in London around uh, July 5th, uh, make this a part of what you do because it's going to be fucking cool. Um, and I myself cannot wait to get out there and meet you both yeah, and for go sure. on one of these tours. We would love, love to Yeah, we would love to take you at all. Yeah, well, uh, we really appreciate you taking a little time with us today. Um, was there anything else that you guys wanted to promote, uh, put I've, out I've there, anything like that? Up. I've got one around Barnes Cemetery, which is a lovely little cemetery and, and a common and a, a lovely forested area. And it's this old abandoned cemetery which has lost all its railings. It's all, it's all completely all over the shop. It's beautiful. Doing a tour there. Um, go on the website. It's there. Hmm. Blah blah blah. And I'm doing one around the. London, looking at all the old city churchyards that Dickens used to go to, um, because it's just because lots of the, the graves have oh, been removed because um, well, because of the Second World War, essentially. Um, but yeah, so just finding out all about that and doing a little tour, which I'll be um, doing after work. So it's nice. My my big thing is, is not a plug as such, <laughs> but I just want to say to all your listeners, um, please go to your local museums wherever they are. Please support them because without you, they die. Uh, and secondly. As LGBTQ people, have an interest in your history of the people that came before you uh, and also push that on your museums. Ask them why they don't use the word gay in any of their uh, signage. Ask them why there are no LGBT people on display, because Mm. if they hear that you care, um, they will respond. uh, But they need to know that you're there first. So very important. Well, Sasha and Sheldon, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, To all of our listeners out there, thank you for joining us. Um, And get ready for um, some more great content coming your way very soon. But until then, we invite you to get slayed. Keats and Yates are on your side Wild, wild